sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> it's good to be in the house of God again. I missed it yesterday, last week, I mean. And I hope it'll be okay today. I still have a little cough, so you'll have to excuse me in advance. Welcome all the visitors here. It's nice to see the house so well filled. It might be even nicer if the front were filled, but the usher got here late, so I guess you all have an excuse. <clears throat> Title of the message this morning is Lessons from the Book of Jonah. So I suppose it's not hard to guess where we're going to be reading from. Jonah is found somewhere in the middle of the minor prophets. It's always a little hard to find, but it's there, and it's a very interesting book. <clears throat> I uh, learned a bunch of stuff in studying this that I hadn't really thought about before. When we think about the book of Jonah, the first thing we think about is, oh yeah, that was about the story about a man that got swallowed by a whale. I'm sure even the children know that. <clears throat> And that's what happened, but as I studied this, to me that became a little less significant and some other things stood out to me that were a blessing. Um, Jonathan talked about the goodness of God and in a way Jonah is a book that brings out the goodness of God, brings out his mercy and his patience in a way that maybe no other book does. Jonah was a prophet in the time of Jeroboam. Jeroboam was a king at the same time Rehoboam was when the kingdom was divided after Solomon. Jonah lived near the city of Nazareth, which was there in the middle of Israel somewhere. And Nineveh was a city of the Assyrians in the land of Assyria. It was probably the largest city in that land, maybe the largest city in all the world. There at the end of the book, it tells us there was 120,000 young children living in the city, so it could have easily been a city of a million people. And it says it was a city that was three days' journey across, and I think they figured a day's journey was 20 miles. So that would be 60 miles across. Truly, that was a big city. And it was about uh, 500 miles to the west, no, to the east, to the east of where Jonah was. So he would have had to go on a little trip to find Nineveh. <clears throat> and the Assyrians were a very real enemy of Israel. Israel did not like Assyria. In fact, 
the Assyrians were known to have taken Jews and skinned them alive. That's pretty severe. And it's no wonder that the Jews did not like the Assyrians. It was a city with walls 100 feet thick. It had at least 1,200 guards around on the perimeter to watch over the city. And Jonah was asked to go preach to this city. Well, he wasn't very excited about the job. Let's read the first three verses there in Jonah, chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with him unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So God asked Jonah to go talk, go preach to Nineveh. And like I said, he was not excited about it, and so he decided to run away from God. My thought was, why did he bother going to the effort of running away? He was going to go to Tarshish, which was about 2,500 miles the other direction. So to run away from God was harder work than to do what God asked him, as far as physically. But he thought it was worth it. But if he would have just stayed there... Why couldn't he have just stayed there and ignored God's call? I think he knew how God worked, and God would have kept on prodding him. Jonah, you need to go. You need to go. But if he would go 2,500 miles the other direction, he would be so far away that God would give up. You know, he'd choose somebody closer. Then he'd be off the hook. Well, we all know that it does not pay to run away from God. You know, even the little children here would know that it does not pay to run away from God. Because God knows everywhere we go. In Psalms 139, it says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. There have been different people in the Bible that have tried to run away from God or hide from God. Adam and Eve were the first people, and they tried to hide from God. After they had sinned, well, it was no problem for God to find them. There was a couple other people that I thought of that didn't necessarily try to hide from God, but they hid things. Achan found the accursed thing in the city of Jericho, and he hid it in his tent. David committed the sin with Bathsheba, and he tried to cover it up. Ananias and Sapphira tried to pretend that they had sold the land for the full amount. But these people were oftentimes thinking they were hiding things from men, not necessarily from God. But in effect, they were trying to hide things from God. And God showed what they were doing, and none of them 
prospered in what they were doing. So it doesn't pay to run away from God. Do you think Jonah didn't know that? Did you think Jonah thought he could get by with running away from God? And surely if he was a wise man, he would not have taken a ship. If you try to run away from God, don't use a ship. Because it wouldn't be hard for God to start a wind and sink the ship. You know, take some other way. That's what I was first thinking when I was thinking about Jonah. He was pretty foolish. But as I kept on studying and toward the end, I decided, you know, I don't think Jonah was as foolish as what it looks like. And maybe we will bring that out a little later. If we read the next three three verses there in, in Jonah, after Jonah was... Uh, running away from God in a ship. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship, into the ship to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. The thing that stood out to me was that it says the mariners were afraid. So it must have been a very bad storm because they were sailors and they knew what it was like to face a storm, but they were afraid and cried every man unto his God. Is that a normal thing for sailors to do whenever there's a storm? I don't know, maybe or maybe not. But they cried every man to his God and cast out the wares that were in the ship to make it lighter. And then it says, Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. How in the world could Jonah be sleeping through a storm like that? But that was another clue why I thought Jonah might not have been as foolish as what I thought he was. Another clue. So the shipmaster came and said, Jonah, wake up. You need to call upon your God too because we need some help from outside to keep us from perishing. The sailors knew that it was not an ordinary storm. It was something that was extraordinary, supernatural. Somewhere they kind of felt like this storm was a punishment for someone. It was just so severe. And then they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. And there again, I don't think that's normal operating procedure to cast lots whenever there's a storm to find the culprit. It seemed like somehow they knew that this was a punishment for someone and they had to find out whose fault it was. I'm not sure what they were planning on doing when they found out whose fault it was. But the lot fell upon Jonah and so they said, okay, talk about yourself. Where are you from and what kind of, who do you serve and all that kind of stuff. And so Jonah told them everything. He said, I serve the Lord God of Israel which made the sea and the dry land. 
and I am running away from him. He told me to do something, and I'm not listening to him. So that's why he sent this storm to stop me. And it's interesting, their response. It says, why hast thou done this? Because after he told them that he was running from God, they were just amazed that anybody would dare to run from God. This God that made the sea and the dry land. And Jonah was running from him. It just didn't make any sense to them. It seemed like they had more sense than Jonah did. So, what shall we do unto you? Oh, throw me overboard. That's not a problem. Just throw me overboard and the sea will be calm. Because I know it's for my sake that the great tempest is upon us. But the men did not want to do that. They tried again to bring the ship to land, but it would not let them. So they told the Lord that, please forgive us if this is innocent blood. We don't want to throw this man overboard, but it looks like we don't have any choice. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Truly a miracle happened there that impressed the men so much that they began to fear the Lord and offered sacrifices unto the Lord and made vows. Probably they promised to serve the Lord the rest of their life when they saw how God was working. They're never going to run away from God. It's really amazing to me how those sailors were willing to admit that God is the Lord of heaven and earth. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Whether it was a fish or a whale, we don't know for sure. But At any rate, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And I believe that was a miracle. I don't think you can explain that in a natural way. Three days and three nights he was in the belly of the whale. And then Jonah started praying. What would have happened if he would have prayed while he was on the ship? He would have saw this storm and I know that God's doing this because of me and he would have prayed and repented and all that stuff. I don't know if God would have stopped the storm or not, but it seemed like he didn't really care. It seemed like he expected to die and maybe even wanted to die. I think Jonah wanted to die. And the reason that he wanted to die was because he did not, I don't think I even talked about that, why he ran. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to that. Jonah ran not because he was afraid of the people of Nineveh, even though they were barbarous people. He didn't run because he was afraid to preach. But he ran because he did not want Nineveh to have a chance to repent. And he knew that God was a merciful God. He was all for the destruction of Nineveh, but don't even warn him. Just go ahead and get rid of him. But if you tell them that God's going to destroy him, they might repent. And he absolutely did not want that. And as I started thinking about how much he hated Nineveh, it finally started making sense why he took a ship. I believe he took a ship because he knew that there might be a storm. 
going a long ways on a ship, good chance there's going to be a storm. If the ship sinks, so what? I'd rather die than to go preach to Nineveh and have them repent. <clears throat> so that's why he could go down into the ship and sleep. I've, I'd rather die than to preach to Nineveh and have them repent. So he could sleep, and if I die, that's fine. And when he was woke up and had to explain what all was going on, and then he told the men, so if you throw me overboard, that's fine, you know. <laughs> Quite an attitude, but I think that's where he was. He was not expecting to survive. And then lo and behold, a fish came and swallowed him up, and he was still alive. I don't know if he was disappointed or not. But anyway, in the belly of the fish, he started thinking a little more seriously and decided, well, if God is still watching over me, I'm going to start praying. So he prayed. And as I read the prayer, it didn't seem like a real repentant prayer that I would have had if I would have been in the belly of the fish. I would have said, Lord, please save me. I'm sorry, I'll do whatever you want. I wouldn't have come up with all these eloquent speeches that Jonah did. You know, it sounds like he was writing a psalm, kind of telling God where he is. He's in the belly of hell. He's in the had seaweed wrapped around his head. He was down at the bottom of the floods. And but I think God's hearing my prayer. I really think he's hearing my prayer. <clears throat> and if you save me, Lord, I'm going to thank you for saving me. The uh, Yeah, verse 7 and 8 and 9. When my soul Fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee and unto thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. It's kind of like he was admitting that he was observing lying vanities, and he's fortunate to have mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So God talked to the fish. And the fish got rid of Jonah. And then we come to chapter 3. I don't know if Jonah went home again for a little time and waited until God talked to him or if he washed up and right away God said, God talked to him, I don't know. But the word of the Lord came into Jonah the second time. Arise, go to Nineveh. I wonder if God had kind of a grin on his face. Well, Jonah, what do you think about that? Now it's time for you to go to Nineveh again. And Jonah decided, okay, I can't can't die if I want to. You know, he thought he would have a shipwreck and die in the sea. And God said, nope, I still got work for you to do. So he didn't see any other option but to go to Nineveh. And he went to Nineveh and walked into the city one day's journey. So he's about 20 miles into the city when he started preaching. And it was an awful short sermon. And it would appear like his heart was not in it. He didn't really want them to repent. He just said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I don't know if he said more than that or not, but it wasn't a very uh, sophisticated sermon. But lo and behold... 
the men heard the sermon and started repenting. And more and more people repented until finally the whole city proclaimed a fast. The king proclaimed a fast of man and beast. He left no stone unturned. He was going to see if God would repent of this evil. And I don't think that Jonah ever gave them that option. He never gave them the option saying, if you repent, God will have mercy on you. Because he obviously did not want that to happen. But the king decided he's going to do what he can. Everyone in this whole city became humble. It's just amazing to see what happened. The thing that was interesting to me was what the king said. Let kind of breaking in the sentence, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? The king knew that they were evil. He didn't have God's law written there to read, but somehow he knew that they were all evil people, that there was violence in their hands, and that they need to stop doing that and turn from their evil ways and repent. So was Jonah an amazing evangelist that he could go there and preach, one man preaching and a whole city repenting? I think it was God at work. But I had to think about how would that be in a modern day if one person would go to Iowa City and start preaching and the whole city of Iowa City would repent. That would just be totally amazing. That would be very exciting. But that's what happened here. It was a completely Gentile city, and they repented. And another thing that may have caused Jonah's problem was Israel at this time was an idolatrous nation. They were worshiping idols. Jeroboam made Israel to sin. You know, if you read in the Kings, it often talks about this king followed the sins of followed Jeroboam who made Israel to sin. It was just over and over. Jeroboam was a wicked king who led Israel into idolatry. And now a Gentile nation is turning to serve God, which is um, proving up Israel, that Israel's on the wrong way. And then we come to Jonah chapter 4. Read a couple verses there. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, My life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Hmm. That's quite a prayer. It's better for him to die than to live. And he says that three times in this chapter. I'd rather die than live. I'd rather die than live. 
and also the remarks that he made to God about his goodness and mercy, probably some of the most scathing marks that were ever talked to God. Now, people talk pretty bad about Jesus, but to God the Father, was there anybody that talked worse to God than Jonah? What would we feel like telling Jonah about now? (laughs) Wouldn't we feel like saying, you little brat, after all you've been through and you're still acting like a jerk, (laughs) when are you going to grow up? I mean, it just seems so ridiculous the way Jonah replied. But let's look at verse 4 and see what God said. Doest thou well to be angry? Just, wow, I don't know if I could have done that or not. Doest thou well to be angry? Are you really behaving right? Are you doing good? Well, obviously not. But that's all God said. Doest thou well to be angry? Truly, God is of great mercy, great mercy, slow to anger and of great kindness. You know, Jonathan talked about the goodness of God and how it's brought out to us. Well, this is truly an example of God's goodness and mercy to a man that was acting really bad. He had... It seemed like Jonah was at the place where he would really like to die because he did not want to see Nineveh repent. But he knew it was wrong to take his own life. And he had tried to die once by going on a ship, but God didn't let him die. So it seems like he's begging God, please get rid of my life somehow or other. I just, it would be, be way better if I would die than if I would live. But God didn't listen to him. In fact, God patiently tries to teach him another lesson. He sat down on a hill to watch the city if maybe God's going to change his mind and get rid of the city. But he sat there and the sun was hot and then God made a plant grow up to give him shade. Ah, this is so nice, Jonah said. That's the only nice thing he had to say about anything for a long time, wasn't it? Ah, I'm so glad with this gourd. He probably had a smile on his face. Well, the next day, God got rid of the plant by a worm, and he was right back to pouting again. I wish I could die. This sun is so hot. And then God asks him again, Jonah, are you doing well to be angry? Let's see, where does it say that? Yeah, and God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then God tried to point out to Jonah that it's really foolish for him to be so sad about the gourd dying, but he'd be extremely happy if a million people would die. You didn't do any work for this gourd. It just came by itself. These people of Nineveh are all people that I created. So therefore, I care about them. but I don't think Jonah got the point. And the book kind of ends on that note, which seems a little bit strange. It would be nice if we would 
get to the end somehow and Jonah would have repented and really realized what God was doing and the important values in life. <clears throat> I don't know if Jonah ever got to that place or not. But So what are some of the lessons that we can learn from the book of Jonah? <clears throat> well, one of the first things that I thought of is when God asks us to do a job, we'd better do it. Now, there's that song, when God tells you what to do, you'd better do it. And we all agree with that, but uh, God doesn't talk to us face-to-face like he did to Jonah. I don't know how he came to Jonah, if just his mind or what, but it seemed like there was communication between God and Jonah on a more literal scale. <clears throat> And God doesn't ask us in a voice to do a job. So if God wants us to ask God wants us to do a job, how does he ask us? Usually other people. He, other people ask us to do a job. Are we willing to do the job that we're asked to do? You know, if it's just people that ask us to do the job, then it's easy to say, ah, I don't think so. I, I just don't think I'll do it. Is that different than telling God, no, I won't do it? I don't know. I think it's something we need to think carefully about. We also notice that God used lots of physical things to teach lessons. He used the wind. He used a fish. He used a gourd, a plant, and he used a worm. <clears throat> all to bring a lessons to Jonah. And he still does that today. Circumstances in life, he uses them to teach us things. Are we listening to what God is teaching us? Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good to those that love God. How are we responding to the situations around us? Are we responding with the attitude that God is in control and I want to learn the lessons or do we rebel against them sometimes? I was also impressed with the sailors and the Ninevites' actions when they become face-to-face with God. The sailors and the Ninevites repented and I believe it was clear repentance. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? and also then as we look at the life of Jonah and the anger and the selfishness that had a hold of him how far that can take a man to coming against God can bring a man to even argue with God himself not just man to man but arguing with God Now that sounds pretty far out, and we wouldn't think of arguing with God, but what if we just ignore what he tells us? Is that a lot different? You know, we can look at Jonah and say, wow, he was really a bad guy. Just shake our heads and think we'd never do that. I suppose the difference between us and Jonah isn't as great as we'd like to admit 
isn't as great as what we would think. We would rather not admit that we are sometimes kind of like Jonah. And we're more like Jonah than we are with, like God, that's for sure. You know, we'd like to think we're pretty close with God and Jonah's way down here. But I think we'd better take a careful look. <clears throat> sometimes just ignoring God is just as bad as speaking against God. And then to see God's patience and mercy with Jonah displayed in great detail, probably in greater detail than any other book in the Bible. A man was so against God and spoke against him, yet God's response to him, Doest thou well to be angry? Does God ask us to follow his example as people act that way to us? We think people are really obnoxious to us sometimes. Can we respond like God did? Doest thou well to be angry? No sign of anger back toward Jonah. No sign of any... uh, Well, I'm sure he was sad that Jonah was acting this way, but not any type of retaliation or or, uh, punishment for Jonah. I was just really impressed with that fact. As I read through Jonah, that was probably the... Well, there was two things. Nineveh repenting, a whole city repenting, and God's mercy and grace to Jonah. And the Bible says that the mercy of the Lord endureth to all generations. It will never fail. We never need to worry about God's patience running out. And it's surely displayed in this book. So I think that's all I had. Um, May the Lord bless you with that.